This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the MLB.com StatCast podcast, our final edition of the year. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers, and a very special guest in studio here with us all the way up from Houston, Texas, Darren Savant. Darren Willman, the proprietor of Baseball Savant. Whatever. People know who Darren is. Darren, we talk about you pretty much on every single show, uh, just constantly, as, as we had joked off air. Luis Perdomo, Byron Buxton, and Darren Willman, uh, because Baseball Savant, it's our clearinghouse for all of the StatCast data. Uh, we really could not do most of our jobs without the uh, the site you've built. And I think you know a lot of our listeners use the site constantly. So uh, we're happy to have you here. First of all, hello. Wow. Quite the introduction. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, yes. you have your mind. You change his name to Darren Savant. Darren Savant. <laughs> you know what? Uh, that was good enough. I didn't even feel well, like we should redo it. I'm happy. I am expecting, I'm just going to tell my wife right now, we're going to name my second son Savant. Oh, (laughs) Savant Willman. Okay, I like that. Uh, There's a lot of cool stuff that happened this year, right? A pretty good year for for StatCast overall, and then obviously um, a lot of that made its way to Baseball Savant. You know, that's where we go for uh, all of our research. You can get the spin rate there, expected weighted on base, all the stuff we talk about. And I want to ask you a little bit about what we added this year and also what you're working on for the upcoming year. But I think one thing that was, uh, I believe it was new for the last year, or at least the redesign was, that was a huge hit, was the live game feed, right? And I don't know if a lot of people know about that. It's baseballsavant.com slash game feed. You can go to any live game and get all the data that's available in real time. And I thought that was really cool. Right, yeah. So we're really trying to push a lot of these new metrics, and we want a way to consolidate them in real time for um, people to start to look at, like exit velocity, the launch angle. Hopefully we had spin rate next year. Um, we'll have, we're going to keep expanding on it, and it gives... Uh, a more advanced look. We have the game feed in MLB.com proper in the uh, game day application, but it's more it's it's more of a con- it's not a condensed look. This one's aggregate. You can see any launch angle, any exit velocity, for any play in any game. And so you know the very analytically minded people really like it. You can get spray charts. Um, so it's only going to continue to evolve and get better. And it's cool because it's color coded too, right? So for example, you know the hardest hits will be in a dark red, or if you have a hit. That was, uh, you know, had a very low hit probability, but turned into a hit. You know, that's a color too, so it's very easy to visually get a story of the game. Right? And it's not just exit velocity and launch angle, although that's great, and hit probability for that matter. It also has, uh, which I find most useful, is pitcher breakdowns. You know, how many, you know, what percentage of fastballs they throw, sliders, how many they throw, is their velocity? There's a trend line. You can see when they start losing their velocity. So there's like, you can really get, you can really get lost in it. Right, and a lot of it is, you know, we're trying to make this kind of user driven. So, you know, a lot of these things that are added are pushed to us. Like people ask for it. So, you know, we're trying to make this kind of socially driven. We we're adding things hopefully that people like and then they add give suggestions to us. So, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like organically grown. So, you heard it here first if you have suggestions or complaints, that's at Darren D A R E N W on Twitter. Uh, complaints go to Mike Petrillo. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. Is there something on the site right now that you think is cool that uh, you don't think enough people have found yet? 
I mean, the game feed's certainly one of them. I, I don't think it's used quite as much as I think if people knew more about it, that they would use it more. But, um, you know, the stat cast search, um, we're also adding a bunch of things this year. Um, player, the player pages are getting a, a whole new refresh. So that's something to look forward to. Um, hopefully you weren't going to touch on that in a second. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the stat cast search, I think, is very underutilized. People, I think they get intimidated by just how much information they can access on there. So it can get a little confusing. But um, sometimes people ask me, like, um, how do I get a spray chart of a player's home runs? Like, you can literally anything you want to get can be accessed through the StatCast search. Just You just kind of got to play around with the options. It's intimidating at first when you look at it because there are so many. But, I mean, you're not going to break anything by using it. So you can kind of just go in there, enter something in, see what you get back. And it's just kind of a... It's literally a black hole of information for baseball. That that, that sounds like a challenge because I'm pretty sure I have broken it in some ways by using it. <laughs> yes, uh, Mike more than anybody has broken it, but uh, anytime he does, we, we we fix it and it's it's better. Well, you mentioned uh, the player pages, and I think that's something that is probably your main project right now. And the player pages, you know, they've been there since day one, and they're they're fine. But um, you and some of our cool designers are really working to add some interesting new things and, and it's hard to visualize on a podcast without showing it to people but what are some of the things uh, I guess over the next couple of weeks that are hopefully be added right so um, right now we're adding a lot of natural language things so we want to be able to basically give a broad a real quick glimpse of a player so we're going to add some things um, that say like you pull up Clayton Kershaw this is his repertoire Clayton Kershaw throws a fastball a curveball a slider and it'll put it into context. Um, so we're working a lot of that uh, into it. We're going to have a lot of very cool new visuals that kind of quantify the player um, in a at a league level. We're going to have breakdowns of stat cast year to year. Um, for pitchers, it'll be year to year and pitch types. So you can kind of get, um, like say you wanted to look up a pitcher's expected WOBA or expected batting average. We're going we're gonna, to uh, have that all aggregated nicely for you. Um, there's going to be a lot of really cool visualizations. Um, we're working on two separate 3D, three-dimensional applications, one uh, for pitch, uh, pitcher's pitches. So you'll be able to pull up a game in, in three-dimensional space, kind of you know, move around. Um, and the same thing for uh, batted balls. I think we're going to start off with home runs. So if anybody's familiar with the home run derby application we came up with um, during the All-Star break, It'll be very similar to that, so you'll be able to, in three-dimensional space, um, kind of like circle around the field, see where all the home runs went. Um, it's also going to include the fences. So uh, I know Mike's been pushing out these new or tweeting out these kind of uh, home run charts, like Hosmer. Uh, Stanton was the first one. Yeah, Stanton. It's uh, like an improvement over the old top-down 2D charts because, you know, fence height matters, right? Right. So so these three... These 3D applications will have the fence, so you'll be able to pull up a player and see, like, oh, this home run would have hit the wall, would have hit the green monster. So, yeah, we have a lot of different things going on, and um, it should be really exciting once we, we get it out. And, it's, you know, so that's the baseball savant player pages, which probably appeal to, like, the listeners of this podcast and the very analytical folks. But you are also working on uh, updates to, like, these traditional MLB.com player pages. And slightly different, right? It's probably not as in-depth as this, but some of this cool data will get to a place where, you know, the larger group of fans will see it. Right. So what we're planning on doing um, is taking all the aspects from the baseball savant player pages that uh, we're going to have some analytics running on in the background where um, we'll be able to 
see exactly what's popular from baseball savants. So um, as we go next season, we're, we plan on adding a, a ton of things uh, with the StatCast data. And so we'll have metrics behind what's popular on there. And along with uh, some new enhancements that we're working on for the MLB.com player pages, we'll be able to tell if this is something interesting that people like to see, like say the 3D charts I was just describing. If it really catches on, we will move that to MLB.com proper. So maybe the average fan um, will like it too. So we'll have some analytics behind it. So yeah, it should be, it'll be really exciting next year. I have, I have one final question for you. And you know, you're from Houston, you're sitting next to me wearing a Houston hat. Uh, and I know you went to almost every game of the, the playoff run. And so, you know, we were watching and, and we were doing a lot of ballpark stuff because, you know, left field and right field and Minimate, it's, it's kind of silly. Like, it's very short and a lot of these fly balls are home runs. And, you know, we're saying, oh, this is a 1% home run. Were you there at the game with your buddies pulling up the data on your phone and saying, well, that wasn't actually that interesting of a home run? It, it is funny. So, yes, I was. Uh, I went to pretty much every game at Minimate Park. And yes, I would pull up the game feed, and so me and my buddies would talk, and we'd, I'd be like, "That one was was crushed." And uh, well, my buddy would say that, and was like, and I would pull up the game feed, and I would say, "No, it was about like 101 miles an hour." So I'm that guy, yeah. <laughs> as you should be, uh, as we all probably are. Uh, yeah, I, I think we all that guy. Um, Darren, we're gonna let you go. For all our listeners, we have a, a bunch of other things to talk about. Eric Hosmer and Lorenzo Cain did some other stuff, but uh, it's good to have you here, and we're looking forward to some super exciting stuff for the upcoming year. When you're back in a couple months, we'll have you back on. Yeah, it should be super exciting. Thanks for having me on. Now, before we move on with the rest of the show, we do want to take a quick second to tell you about our friends at the Fantasy 411 podcast. It's never too early to start prepping for your 2018 fantasy draft, and listening to the 411 with Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach can give you an edge no matter what format you play. They'll break down the latest hot sto- news all offseason, including how to value Giancarlo Stanton and Shohei Otane and D. Gordon heading into next season. Draft time will be here before you know it, so subscribe to the Fantasy 411 podcast on Apple Podcasts today. Now, Matt, I know you know we talked to Darren for a few minutes. There's, there's still a a lot of big names out there in free agency, right? Like yesterday, uh, you know, Mitch Moreland signed with the Red Sox, so maybe Eric Hosmer's not going to go there. But it feels like we all sort of assumed that once Stanton got moved and once Otani picked somewhere, the market would shake loose. And it just hasn't happened yet, right? Basically, among the free agents, there's been a bunch of relievers who've signed um, and Otani, who's sort of his own thing. But all the other top free agents are still available. And even the top two relievers, based on, like, stature, Wade Davis and Greg Holland are still out there. Whether or not they're actually the two best relievers on the market is a separate question. But in terms of like expected, you know, next contract and you know, fame, what have you, they are they are the two biggest names out there. And it really feels like a lot of this is going to go into January, and, and that's part of, partially because baseball as an industry just kind of shuts down after Christmas. Like we won't have a show next week because everybody's going to be off. Um, but I do think the fact that Scott Boris is is the agent for a lot of these guys, and he's famous for waiting it out. And I, like every year, we get in the middle of January, and I'm like, oh, I wish I'd taken a week vacation in January. It's so slow. Not this year. It's actually going to be, I think, more interesting than December was, and especially than November was. Yeah, there's a there's a, a really good chance that none of these guys will have signed before the new year, and there's a lot of you know a lot of big names out there, you know. Hosmer probably being the, the biggest one. Yeah, so we have uh, we pulled some interesting Statcast data uh, on Hosmer and then Lorenzo Cain, and then uh, we, we should talk a little bit about Stanton and Judge, who should actually play right field in New York because now they have got two right fielders. And we're going to finish off the show with some Statcast New Year's resolutions, um, and I think those are going to be pretty fun. So let's start with Hosmer, right? And we've been talking about this for it feels like a decade. 
right? He's the most divisive free agent I think I can remember. Uh, you know, the, the metrics don't love him defensively, but he keeps winning gold gloves. He looks like a slugger, but he hasn't hit more than 25 home runs. Uh, Boris is trying to push the, the clubhouse intangibles with what he has termed prestige value, which I would love to find the formula for that. I want to know who has the lowest prestige value. But what we did with Hosmer is uh, we looked at kind of the same 3D modeling that we did with John Carlos Stanton a few weeks ago because, and I know he's probably not going to go to the Red Sox now, but this is still interesting. People thought this is a guy who would just pound doubles off the wall in Fenway, or or once he would leave Kaufman, which is enormous, he would just hit more home runs because it wouldn't be as, as big of a ballpark. And that's true, maybe a little bit, but I, I when I looked at these three parks, I looked at Fenway, I looked at Petco, and I looked at Bush Stadium, uh, the effects were not really as large as I, I kind of thought they'd be. And there's one very obvious reason for that. When you hit the ball on the ground as often he does, it really doesn't matter what the park is like. He had a 56% ground ball rate. Uh, that was 10th of the 240 guys who had at least 250 balls in play. That is, that's a lot of grounders. You expect that from D. Gordon, right? You don't expect that from Eric Cosmer. When he did put the ball in the air, he's interesting. He doesn't pull it. When he put the ball in the air, 13% of those balls were pulled. 51% of those balls were opposite field. He's a really interesting guy. And when he did put it in the air to the opposite field, he was fantastic. Third in weighted on base average when he put the air ball in the air to the opposite field behind J.D. Martinez and Aaron Judge. That's a really nice company to be in. He just doesn't do it that often. Like that's, that's the main problem. And I know people are like, oh, well, he could elevate if he wanted to. The guys who've done that successfully, like Turner, Mar- you know, Martinez, Josh Donaldson, were like sort of fringe major leaguers. They, they were willing to take the risk. I don't see him getting a giant contract and saying, okay, Now's the time. Now I'm going to change everything. Well, the, the flip side, the flip side of the argument is being like, well, now I've got, now I'm secure. Maybe now is the time to tinker. I, I mean, I guess it seems unlikely to me. So anyway, we looked at uh, the same thing we did for Sten. We looked at Hosmer's batted balls at home last year of at least 300 feet, so potential home runs. Right? He had 41 batted balls of at least 300 feet at home. Now, right away, that's kind of a thing. 110 players and more, including teammates. Whit Merrifield was 71, and this blew me away. Alcides Escobar had more. He had 58 batted balls at home of at least 300 feet. Now, I think part of that is that, you know, that might be as far as he can hit it. You know, I'd rather have fewer balls that went 400 feet than a lot of balls that went 301 feet. But even still, I thought that was really interesting. Um, so we looked at Fenway because, you know, this was before they signed Moreland. And, and the very first thing that stood out was, oh, yeah, you know, the pesky pole is not far away. He'll pound balls off the wall. We found that he'd gain one home run, probably, maybe lose two, maybe turn four outs in the doubles, which isn't nothing. It's just, it's not the, it's not, there's a report out there that said the Red Sox thought he would hit 45 home runs in Fedway. I don't see that happening. They also, I mean, that's also pretty clearly bogus now that they went and made uh, Mitch Moreland their priority and signed him and basically said, we're not interested. If they really thought that that Eric Hosmer was going to hit 45 home runs in Fedway Park, Eric Hosmer would be on the Red Sox. Exactly. And you know what? He's not going to go there now. So they're probably going to get JD Martinez. But it does seem really interesting. The Padres still seem to be in this. I remember we first saw this report a couple weeks ago. We're like, pfft. There's no way. Um, and now as the potential landing spots for Hosmer just kind of seem to be dwindling, the Padres, I mean, there is there is a right price point for Hosmer, even for the Padres, right? I don't know what that number is going to be. Um, but it, it, it's interesting because you think of Petco as being this ridiculous pitcher's park. And that was true. It's not as true anymore. They pulled the fences in a couple years ago. Uh, they changed the wind patterns a little bit because they put up like this giant video screen and there's a, a new apartment building or office building or whatever out, out past the outfield. So, I mean, it's still not a hitter's park. Uh, but the ball flies there a little better than it used to. So we ran the same thing. He might have actually hit between two or four more home runs at Petco, which is, that's not nothing. I, that's, mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty good. That's kind of significant. You know, the difference between 25 and 29 home runs is, uh, that's that's kind of a big deal. Uh, I don't really, yeah, it's, I don't really get it. You know, um, 
Padres are a couple years away. They're interesting. As anyone who listens to the show knows that we think if anyone thinks the Padres are interesting, <laughs> it's us. But it's, it seems like an odd fit, particularly since they're – their best current major leaguer plays first base, although I guess there's the thought that Will Myers has more value. I guess he'd be play left field for them, right, with Margot in center and Renfro in right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean— And also he has he has a, a bad arm. That's why I think they—he has a shoulder issue. I think that's, that's right. That's the reason why he moved into the infield in the first place. I mean, I guess they look at him in sort of the same way the Nationals did with Jason Worth. You know, seven years ago, this is when the Nationals were, were having those poor seasons that led to the number one overall picks that turned into Strasburg and Harper. And it always—it seemed like a year too early, but they kind of sold it as well— you know, we need to. We need someone who can lead. We need to convince other free agents next year that we're ready to win. And it seemed to work out. I mean, you know, Worth had some good years and some poor years, but that was the intent behind it. I don't think they would take that back. I guess this is what the Padres are thinking in the same thing. The, the amazing thing about the offseason right now is that the conditions are such that the idea now of Hosmer and Mustakis ending up back on the Royals is like not, doesn't seem that crazy no. anymore. I mean, I've always thought one of those three, between those two and Kane, would, would go back to Kansas City. And now it seems like... Possibly two of them. I mean, Moustakas, like, really right now, he the market for him seems yeah. very limited because the Angels, to me, seem like the obvious spot. And they went and got Zach Cozart on a modest deal to play third base. So where who, who's going to sign Moustakas? Especially now that it seems possible or maybe even likely that Manny Machado is out there in the third base market. And, and now Evan also, Longoria and, and Josh Donaldson. Donaldson. <laughs> it's, it's a very weird time to be a third baseman. So you're right. I, I think at least one of them is going back to Kansas City. And, and Hosmer, I think there's still a chance he goes to St. Louis. And we did the same uh, you know, 3D modeling here. Maybe plus two in Bush. Uh, he's he's not affected by the ballpark so much. I mean, we, we would both love him to go sign with the Rockies, right? I think we both agree that would be a fantastic fit. But if he hit the ball on the ground, it's not going to matter so much. No, but I do, I, I do wonder with someone like him, not that he necessarily go and hit 40 homers, but I think you, you maybe, maybe you look at a guy, considering he's also really fast for a first baseman, that's something you're looking at a guy who's going to hit like 50 doubles. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's – because what's interesting about Hosmer is also that – is that he's very fast for first baseman. But that doesn't translate into range from what we can tell. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I do want to touch on his defense briefly because that's always a big sticking point, right? He's won four gold gloves, including this most recent year. But the defensive metrics, and a lot of these predate StatCast because you know he's been playing for several years, uh, they, they all hate him. So he's had almost 9,000 innings at first base. His defensive runs saved, negative 21. Ultimate zone rating, negative 29. But he's got a fantastic reputation, and he keeps winning gold gloves. And I don't... Th- I, People kind of take this to say that the metrics are wrong because, like, I like him. He looks good, so the metrics are broken. I don't actually feel like there's a difficult question here, right? Because you look at the things that uh, Hosmer is good at. And I've had the same conversation with a couple of baseball people over the last couple weeks, and they've all agreed. What's he really good at, right? He's got a strong arm. Everybody agrees with that. For first baseman, a very good arm. And he throw, he's a, he's aggressive with it, and it's right. accurate. It's Everybody just... remembers that play in the, the World Series, right? Uh, he's really good at scooping the ball, right? He will save his infielder's errors. He'll dig the ball out of the dirt. I think everybody agrees he's very good at that. And he does not have great range. You know, a lot of balls will get by him for for all his speed. He just he's not great at at blocking the ball. And the thing here is that you see a good arm when he makes a great throw. That's a highlight. When he makes a ridiculous scoop, that's a highlight. But those things just don't matter that much. Like how much does a first baseman's arm matter? Not that much. Scoops matter a little, but there's just they don't happen that often, and there's not a big spread. Like a lot of first basemen are good. So being the best at that doesn't matter that much. 
but range is hugely important. That's the most important thing, and that's the one thing he's not strong at. So I think it's it's pretty easy to understand why the metrics say one thing and why the eye test says another thing. And I'm hopeful that we'll have our own opinion on this soon because, as you all know, we are working on infield defense, and we should have a number, hopefully, uh, in the first, I don't know, month or so of January. So I'm really excited to see what we say about it too, right? Uh, he's not the only Royal out there, not just Hosmer, not just Mustakas. Lorenzo Cain is still out there. And no one's talking about Lorenzo Cain. Nobody's talking about Lorenzo And, you know, he's he is, in my opinion, the only available all-around outfielder, right? J.D. Martinez can crush, not a great defender. Uh, Draw Dyson can fly and field, not a great hitter. But Lorenzo Cain can do both, right? An elite outfielder and above-average hitter. But you're right. Nobody really seems to be talking about him. I, I guess just because everybody's focused on Hosmer and Darvish and Martinez. There also just don't seem to be, among the teams that are sort of like in on big free agents, there doesn't seem to be a lot of teams that are really targeting a center fielder. I guess a lot of them just have a good center fielder that they feel happy about. or And maybe because there's not another comparable player on the market, it's sort of hard to get a sense of like what his market is. Actually, is there's no other center fielder at his level on the market, right? No, and, and he's flexible too because when they had both Kane and Dyson, they would put Kane in right field. So if part of it's his age, he's going to be 32 or he's already 32. So you don't sign him to a five-year deal expecting he's your center fielder for the next five years. But if he spends part of that time in right field, that's still fine. So we identified five good fits here, uh, and I just want to we'll go through the numbers real quickly just to compare. And I think some of them would be surprising to people. Lorenzo Kane last year had 15 outs above average, right? That's fifth in baseball. The previous year, he had 12, ninth in baseball. He's been consistently a top 10 outfielder. And just a quick overview, outs above average is the um, when we uh, add up all of uh, the separate catch probability metrics over the course of a season. So if you make a catch that had a catch probability of 10%, you get essentially 0.9 points. So it's like 100, you know, you get 90, like point, like... You get you get credit not only for how many plays you make, but how difficult they were. So you add that all up, and you get to a raw number. And I think you know Buxton led the league at what, like twenty five, twenty six, I think, was 20, twenty five like outs above average. Kane was um, fifth with fifteen. Yeah. So the range for uh, an everyday player goes from yeah twenty six Buxton, I believe the the lowest. Uh, well, let's talk about let's talk about the next lowest right now. Denard Span had negative twelve last year. So the, I think the Giants are a very obvious fit. And I don't think they'll do it because they've got some you know. Yeah, luxury tax issues and all this stuff, but they wanted Stanton, and it didn't happen. They wanted Ozuna, it didn't happen. They're on the record as saying they need to improve their outfield, uh, especially their defense. Span is probably going to move to a quarter next year. He might actually platoon with Hunter Pence, which is kind of fun to think about. As a group, the Giants outfield had a negative 16 outs above average. That was 29th in MLB. So if you were to just look at Span's minus 12 and Kane's plus 15 right away, with, with one swap, that's a difference of plus 27 outs. And if you think about, you know, Attenders. I mean, it's 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 crazy to think about what that meant to the pitching staff, right? Because like when I did this list a few weeks ago of pitchers who deserve better, Jeff Samarja was on it because he had a, a really good expected weighted on base, a 4.42 ERA. Mark Melanson was on it. He had a 2.88 expected weighted on base, where the average is like 3.20. He had a 4.50 ERA. I, I think the defense there just crushed the pitchers. So they it, they need somebody. And and right now, outs about above average isn't even weighted for like. How many bases it costs? So a lot of these are we're talking about extra bases. We're right. talking about this isn't just this isn't just any any out. This is an out that you know let you know doubles, triples, and you know runs circling the bases. So I think the Giants are an obvious fit. Here's one I think people are going to get surprised about: the Toronto Blue Jays. And I don't think listeners of the show are going to be surprised by well, this. <laughs> there's actually been reports that they've reached out. So this isn't just like a spitballing. This was actually a thing that they're looking at, and everybody's going to say, "What? You have Kevin Pillar in center field. Kevin Pillar is a star." 
And I think that was true. And the Blue Jays actually had the weakest outfield in baseball in terms of outs above average. And a lot of that was because in the corners they had, you know, Steve Pierce and Jose Bautista, uh, you know, not a very strong defensive outfield. But Kevin Pillar dropped from plus 15 outs above average in 2016 to minus two last year. I, I didn't actually look if that was the largest drop, but my guess is it's pretty close to it. And when I, when I put this out on Twitter, Blue Jays fans kind of lost their mind because he makes these fantastic catches. But the response here is that you don't even need advanced metrics. If you just look at raw putouts, he's played about the same innings the last three years. Just catches made, 440, down to 337, down to 316. That is as clear an indication that he's just not getting as many balls as, as he used to. Yeah, I mean, some of that could be the changing makeup of the pitching staff, sure. but that's a huge drop. We're hu- talking that's 124 fewer right. putouts. Now, I still consider him, you know, at, at worst an average fielder, if not better than average, but that's the point is you put Kane in center field, you put Pilar in left or right, all of a sudden that's two-thirds of a pretty good defensive outfield. Um, and you can see how it affected their pitchers too. Marco Estrada basically had the same year the last two years. Strikeouts, walks were the same. Expected to wait on a base, almost identical. His 348 ERA jumped to a 498 ERA. Defense matters for a fly ball pitcher, especially. Um, a couple other teams I want to talk about. The Dodgers, I think this one's really interesting, especially now that they have cleared a whole bunch of, of luxury, ta- uh, luxury tax commitments with the uh, Matt Kemp trade. And we know Matt Kemp is not going to be on the Dodgers next season. Last year, they had a negative nine outs above average, and a lot of that was because Jock Peterson had a negative eight. He was slightly below average uh, in terms of sprint speed, so he had a 26.9 feet per second sprint speed. The league average is 27. But for center fielders, it's like almost 28. So he was one of the slower center fielders. They've actually asked him to work on his conditioning this year. But wouldn't wouldn't signing Kane put them back over the luxury? Isn't their goal basically to stay under the luxury tax so they can basically reset yes. for next year? Well, it depends on how the contract would be structured. It also depends if they can you know, maybe move Kemp by including some prospects to the White Sox or somebody. Uh, but it's possible. Is it likely? Who knows? But they could certainly use a center fielder. Because even when Peterson came back from the minors, he played mostly left. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Chris Taylor had a breakout year, but... Is he going to repeat that? Is he going to play some infield? Uh, with Gonzalez now, Bellinger's not going to play any outfield. Certainly, he's their first baseman. Puig will play in right, and then you know Alex Verdugo's in the mix. But they could certainly use... They have a lot of uncertainty there. Uh, I think when I think about the next team, the Rockies, I kind of think about it in the same way as the Blue Jays. They have a really good center fielder. Charlie Blackman, basically average, you know, negative one outs above average. But they don't really have any corner outfielders. You know, Ian Desmond, is he going to be their first baseman, their left fielder? Who knows? Do you really want para playing every day? Uh, I like David Dahl a lot, but he's never healthy. And this would also help because, as we always say, the Rockies need another bat. And Lorenzo Cain had a pretty good year in a large ballpark. I actually like him a lot in Colorado. You put him in center, put Blackman in right, all of a sudden you got something going. Never going to happen, but I want it to happen. I always want the Rockies to do something. And then finally, the Texas Rangers, who have added so much to their pitching staff. They've added Mike Miner and Matt Moore and Doug Fister and Chris Martin. And then just today, lost Martin Perez to a broken elbow, non-throwing elbow, due to some sort of un- undisclosed bull incident. Yeah, in, in Venezuela. It was very uh, a little bit, of, not cryptic, but the announcement was just like, he had surgery yesterday. He had an incident with a bull on his ranch in Venezuela. He'll miss four months. It's a non-throwing, it's a non-throwing arm, so like it probably is not going to affect their season that much. But I mean, Martin Perez was never like. I do wonder if it might make them more aggressive to go after a guy like Arietta. Right. Oh, anyway, the point is they're trying to fix their pitching staff. So they've signed a bunch of guys. They wanted Otane. I agree with you that they're probably in on on Arietta or maybe bring back Darvish. But a really good way to improve your pitching staff is to improve your defense. And the Rangers put a ton of balls in play last year. Their pitching staff had the lowest strikeout percentage in baseball at 17.8%. So they obviously allowed a ton of balls in play. Uh, As a group, they had a negative five outs above average, but their incumbent center fielder, Carlos Gomez, is a free agent. So right now it would be Delano DeShields, maybe, who's extremely fast. He had the sixth highest sprint speed at 29.6 feet per second, but 
He's an average outfielder. It hasn't really translated into success. He's not much of a hitter anyway. So, you know, you probably need him in left because they have Willie Calhoun, the prospect they got from the Dodgers, who is supposed to be a really good hitter, but is not a strong outfielder either. So if you have DeShields in left with him and Kane up the middle, that's something. Yeah, DeShields, I mean, he when he came up, I guess, in 2015, he kind of had a little bit of a a, a fluky season, kind of Babbitt-driven you know he's he's a nice guy for your for your roster because of his speed, but I he's not somebody you want to pencil in. If you if you have you know visions of competing for a pl- for a playoff spot, uh, I think you probably need to need an upgrade there. Yeah, and I think Lorenzo Cain would be perfect, and I believe the Rangers have been interested in him before. The next topic I wanted to talk about was in New York. Aaron Judge is a right fielder. The Yankees traded for Giancarlo Stanton, who is also a right fielder. So they have two massive men who both play right field. Neither one has ever played left field in the majors. So there is some sort of question about how this is all going to work out. Now, obviously, they have the DH. feels like they'll both DH a little bit. But it's an interesting uh, you know, thought experiment. And I feel like there's another move that's going to come. Maybe it's Frazier for you know, Garrett Cole. They, they would love that, to get rid of Ellsbury. But that, right? doesn't really affect, that doesn't really affect this, this no, dilemma. No, but they'd love to get rid of Ellsbury, but Ellsbury has a no-trade clause. So if they end up moving Brett Gardner, or even if they don't end up moving Brett Gardner, they still have some questions, right? Because I don't think that they really want to just say, okay, you— whichever one is our everyday DH, um, especially because they're both surprisingly decent fielders, and I think the Yankees will import somebody to be insurance for Greg Bird, and if Greg Bird has the season, I think he will, because I'm a big Greg Bird fan, that somebody is probably going to get some DH time, right? So they, they can't just stick one there and say that's it. Yeah, it's 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 definitely going to be interesting to see how they play it out, and now we know, based on how the Yankees went about their manager search that this decision is going to be driven by the front office. This is oh, going to absolutely. be, this is not going to be, you know, if Joe Girardi had been there, Joe Girardi, obviously I felt like would have been very involved in this decision, but this is going to be Cashman telling Aaron Boone, here's how we're going to, here's how we're going to, uh, divvy this playing time up. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed looking into this because you think about Judge and Stanton and you think of home runs, right? You think of crushed baseball because they're enormous, massive men, but they're actually pretty uh, decent outfielders. I mean, if you look at the speed, uh, pretty similar. 27 feet per second was the major league average. Judge was at 27.7. Stanton was only a little bit behind him. They're both average to slightly above average. Outs above average, Judge was plus six. That's top 20. Stanton was minus one. So about the same. Like they're both playable. This is not a case where, you know, it's a slugger who's stumbling around in the outfield. Now, I think the one thing here is that Yankee Stadium is not equal. If you look at right field in Yankee Stadium, obviously the short porch, 385 to right center. 399 to left center. So there's just more left field. That sort of points towards Judge, I think. Uh, and also Judge actually played a couple of games in left in AAA in 2016. A few games in center. Love to see Aaron <laughs> Judge playing center on an everyday basis. So, and just in terms of there's more room out there and he's a little younger and maybe a little faster and a little more range. I think that points to Judge. But I do think there's a case for Stanton, right? Because let's say Stanton probably spends more time at DH than, than Judge does. So if you do that and you still have Gardner, you can make for a pretty easy platoon situation. So let's say they're facing a right-handed pitcher, uh, Gardner in left, Judge in right, and Stanton at DH. Easy. And then if it's a left-handed pitcher, Stanton in left, Judge in right, and another right-handed bat at DH. But if you did it the opposite way, now you've got to flip Judge because Brett Gardner is never going to play right field. He doesn't have the arm for it. So we have Judge in right field some days and left field some days and then DH some days. I mean, it's possible. I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, but it, it does seem to me it's easier just to leave one of them alone and have Stanton split his time at left field DH. I also think that the, um, the big thing is simply that Stanton's injury history, you're going to want to give him more. It's just like by nature he's older and because he's – I mean – 
as great as Stanton's season was last year, it was by far his best season. His previous career high in home runs was 37, which is more a reflection of his inability to stay on the field than anything. Oh, absolutely. He could barely play more than 120 games in a season. So in the interest of keeping him healthy, you're going to want to DH him. I think he's going to probably DH half the time, would be my guess. So with that regard, yes, you may be asking him to um, – to, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But um, it would just make more sense for that regard to uh, do it the way he suggested. Yeah, and it, what's interesting about the Yankees, at least last year, is that their pitchers made it pretty easy on everybody. They had the fourth highest strikeout percentage and the third fewest air balls to left field and right field that, that were in play that were not home runs. So right away, there's just not a ton of, of opportunities out there. And whether it's through batted ball luck or good positioning or whatever, Yankee outfielders had the fewest tough outfield opportunities last year, which I've defined as uh, five-star or four-star catches, so a 50% catch probability or below. They had by far the fewest. Uh, And if you look at the top, it's like Detroit, Atlanta, Minnesota. Pitching staffs that don't miss a lot of bats put a lot of balls in place. So in some sense, it's an easier decision for the Yankees because if they can repeat that, it's not going to matter so much. It will be interesting to see. I mean, you know, the Yankees, by from multiple reports, now have the largest analytics staff in baseball, which some people don't it's sort of, you know, they, they don't have that reputation, but that's how they're, they're really being run from a top-down situation, as I sort of alluded to before with the um, hiring of Aaron Boone. So it'll be interesting to see if that kind of thing is repeatable because it speaks to it speaks to great outfield positioning is what it speaks to. And obviously there's always going to be a little bit of variance, but I do think that over the course of time we'll be able to see teams that are better at repeating um, – it will become a skill, outfield positioning, essentially. Yes, and that's actually something uh, we're working to be able to measure because we can't do that yet. Let's finish off our final show of the year with some New Year's StatCast resolutions. And this is less about uh, what Matt and I want to do and more about what we would like some of our favorite players to to change going forward. So first on the list, we're not going to repeat it all. Eric Hosmer should elevate the ball. All right? we, we talked about this. Too many balls on the ground. You have, you have the power. You have the exit velocity. Let's see it. That's what I want to see. Yeah, another guy that... Uh, is supposedly trying to trying to elevate the ball this offseason. Uh, uh, there was a great story in the New York Times this week about Juan Lagares. James Wagner did a great piece. Juan Lagares going to the same hitting coach of, uh, was it Justin Turner this uh, offseason? J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez this offseason. So, you know, I certainly don't expect Lagares to turn into J.D. Martinez, but he's basically on record as saying, I am trying to do this. You know, I'm, I'm trying to join the airball revolution. Let's see what happens. I can't tell you how happy Matt was when he saw that story. We love Algaris right here. He's a fantastic but, fielder. Even just a little bit of pop makes him a pretty good player. But the guy that really needs to elevate probably more than anyone in baseball, Yandy Diaz. Yandy Diaz, Cleveland infielder. Yandy Diaz last year. And if you, you should go look up a picture of Yandy Diaz, by the way. His forearms are enormous. Yandy Diaz had a hard hit rate, and we define that as an exit velocity of 95 miles an hour or more. He had a hard rate hit rate of 51%. Is that good? I think it's good. That's the fifth best of 387 guys who put 100 balls Judge in Judge is play. like 55% for, for Yeah, reference. it's like Judge and Stanton and uh, Joey Gallo, I think, are like three. Anyway, you if you do that, you're crushing the ball. However, he also had a 59% grounder rate, which was the highest, I believe. And uh, it really doesn't matter. He's never hit a home run in the majors, by the way. It does not matter how hard you hit the ball if you're hitting it on the ground right to the shortstop. And they've talked about this. They're working with him on it. I really want to see it happen. And they, they clearly believe in him because they're basically trying to give Jason Kipnis away, which basically says we are prepared to make um, Jose Ramirez, our everyday second baseman, and Diaz or you know Giovanni Urshela. But I think Diaz is the guy that – the upside is there. Like yeah. few, few people – this is a skill. This is like a – he's basically like the equivalent of a pitcher who can throw at 101 but does not really have command. But like if he can harness that command a little bit, suddenly is like an elite pitcher. This is – Yanni Diaz is the hitter equivalent of that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one more – 
elevate guy, and that's Ian Desmond. Right, and we talked about Ian Desmond a couple times. He's second only to Diaz in terms of fewest batted balls hit above ten degrees. He doesn't hit the ball as hard as Diaz does, uh, but you're in course field, man. You're, you you want to get that thin air to help you. It's not going to happen on the ground. Just put it in the air. And the thing about uh, Ian Desmond when he when he has been good, he's hit for power and he hits some majestic home runs. Oh, yeah. Like I want to see I want to see him like you know harness that in course field, and then he could be useful as like super utility guy, I think, could be a very useful player. I mean, that contract did not work out so well in year one, but it can still work out. Uh, we have a couple more guys. Now, one is a former Rocky, Tyler Chatwood. I've talked about Tyler Chatwood a lot. Big fan of his. He's now with the Cubs. I'd love for him to throw more curveballs. Maybe leaving course field will help with that. He had a curveball spin rate of 2,980 RPM, fifth highest of 229 who threw 100 curves, but only threw it 10% of the time. This is like me from a year ago talking about Seth Lugo. Now I want Tyler Shatwood to like, just give me the good stuff. Throw that curveball. You're outside of course field now. Maybe he'll trust it a little more. I, I hope. Yeah, no, we talk a lot about the uh, the curveball revolution on the show and guys throwing more and more, more and more curveballs. And possibly the poster child for that movement is Lance McCullers Jr. But I'm going to say I think Lance McCullers Jr. for 2018 needs to throw his curveball Less. Hot take coming in here. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. This year, he threw his um, curveball about 47% of the time, his fastball about uh, 40% of the time, and his changeup about 13% of the time. And now the reason you know pitchers try and get that – starting pitchers need that third pitch is to give a different look to get through that lineup two and three times – two and th- two or three times, right? You, we hear a lot about the third time through the order penalty. A lot of times it's because the third time they're seeing a pitcher – He's got two pitches. He doesn't really have anything else to show. He's a little tired, and they tee off. Lance McCullers Jr. last year, OPS against first time through the order, 536. That's really good. Second time through the order, 664. That's really good, too. Third time through the order, 1,000. Oh, no. 1004, right? That was 87th among 89 qualifiers. Jeremy Hellickson was last at 1,034. So Lance McCullers Jr., as good as he is the first time, th- first two times through the lineup, He's showing a little bit that maybe, just maybe, he needs to work in that third offering a little bit more to get through that lineup a third time. If, of course, that's what the Astros want. They may just want him to go through the lineup twice. But if they want three times through the order, he may want to think about mixing up the repertoire a little bit more. It would be a very Astros thing to do to only ask him to go through the lineup twice. Uh, Matt Davidson, I think, is another name here on the White Sox. Learn the strike zone, right? Matt Davidson uh, has a lot of power. But he also has an enormous strikeout rate, a 37.2% strikeout rate. That's the second highest among all hitters with 400 plate appearances. But his barrels per ball and play rate was really good. Now, a barrel is our definition for basically the best thing you can do. It's the perfect combination of exit velocity and launch angle. His barrel per ball and play rate was 15.4%. That was top 10. 284 guys had at least 200 balls in play. That was ninth. So when he gets a hold of the ball, he does good things with it, but he just strikes out so much. Yeah, and also he doesn't walk. The thing is, he had a walk rate of only 4.3%. Um, he's The thing is, he's ba- and I, this is he's basically Joey Gallo without the walks, which I realize is like... That's, not, that's some faint praise. That's some faint <laughs> praise. But like, there's a lot. Matt Davidson is sort of like this. He's this cheap power source. He's someone who hits the ball hard a lot. And, you know, the White Sox are this kind of rebuilding team. But he's not that far. Like, the the pieces are like, there's something there to be a useful player. I don't expect him to ever be a star, but he's like a legitimate third baseman. He has ridiculous power. It's just like maybe control the, control the strikes on a little bit more. And there's like a, a nice, like, uh, cost-effective third-base option for a rebuilding team. Now, we're going to finish this off with one more New Year's resolution, and you probably already know who this is going to be, and I'm going to let Matt here take it away. Who's the last name? Luis Perdomo. There it is. 
it was only fitting that we finish our last show of 2017 with Luis Perdomo. Learn a change up. He's basically he's just like he's, he's I wouldn't say just like there's a lot of similarities between him and McCullers. He's great first time through the order. He falls apart third time through. He's got a fantastic sinker. He's got an effective slider. Gets a lot of swings and misses on it. But he needs a third pitch. Padres improved their uh, infield defense by acquiring Freddie Galvis to play shortstop, so that should help. Uh, they don't. They didn't have a strong infield last year, uh, so we are definitely going to end our show and our year on Luis Perdomo because why wouldn't we? So thank you all for listening. Thank you to Andrew Hartz, our producer, for a very good year, and uh, we will be back right after the new year. So thanks for listening. We will talk to you in 2018. Welcome to the MLB.com StatCast podcast, our final edition of the year. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com national editor, Matt Myers, and a very special guest in studio here with us all the way up from Houston, Texas, Darren Savant. Darren Willman, the proprietor of Baseball Savant, whatever. People know who Darren is. Darren, we talk about you pretty much on every single show, uh, just constantly, as, as we had joked off air, Luis Perdomo, Byron Buxton, and Darren Willman, uh, because Baseball Savant, it's our clearinghouse for all of the StatCast data. Uh, we really could not do most of our jobs without the uh, the site you've built. And I think you know a lot of our listeners use the site constantly. So uh, we're happy to have you here. First of all, hello. Wow, quite the introduction. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, yes. you have your mind. I need to change his name to Darren Savant. Darren Savant. <laughs> you know what? Uh, that was good enough. I didn't even feel well, like we should redo it. I'm happy with that. I am expecting, I'm just going to tell my wife right now, we're going to name my second son Savant. Oh, <laughs> Savant Willman. Okay, I like that. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that happened this year, right? It was a pretty good year for, for StatCast overall. And then obviously um, a lot of that made its way to Baseball Savant. You know, that's where we go for uh, all of our research. You can get the spin rate there, expected weighted on base, all the stuff we talk about. And I, I want to ask you a little bit about what we added this year and also what you're working on for the upcoming year. But I think one thing that was, uh, I believe it was new for the last year, at least the redesign was, that was a huge hit, was the live game feed, right? And I don't know if a lot of people know about that. It's baseballsavant.com slash game feed. You can go to any live game and get all the data that's available in real time. And I thought that was really cool. Right, yeah. So we're really trying to push a lot of these new metrics, and we want a way to consolidate them in real time for um, people to start to look at, like exit velocity, the launch angle. Hopefully we had spin rate next year. Um, we'll have, we're going to keep expanding on it, and it gives... Uh, a more advanced look. We have the game feed in MLB.com proper in the uh, game day application, but it's more it's it's more of a con- it's not a condensed look. This one's aggregate. You can see any launch angle, any exit velocity, for any play in any game. And so you know the very analytically minded people really like it. You can get spray charts. Um, so it's only going to continue to evolve and get better. And it's cool because it's color coded too, right? So for example, you know the hardest hits will be in a dark red, or if you have a hit. That was, uh, you know, had a very low hit probability, but turned into a hit. You know, that's a color too, so it's very easy to visually get a story of the game. Right? And it's not just exit velocity and launch angle, although that's great, and hit probability for that matter. It also has, uh, which I find most useful, is pitcher breakdowns. You know, how many, you know, what percentage of fastballs they throw, sliders, how many they throw, is their velocity? There's a trend line. You can see when they start losing their velocity. So there's like, you can really get, you can really get lost in it. Right, and a lot of it is, you know, we're trying to make this kind of user driven. So, you know, a lot of these things that are added are pushed to us. Like people ask for it. So, you know, we're trying to make this kind of socially driven. We we're adding things hopefully that people like and then they add give suggestions to us. So, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like organically grown. So, you heard it here first if you have suggestions or complaints, that's at Darren D A R E N W on Twitter. 
Com- uh, complaints go to Mike Petrilli. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. Is there something on the site right now that you think is cool that uh, you don't think enough people have found yet? I mean, the game feed's certainly one of them. I, I don't think it's used quite as much as I think if people knew more about it, that they would use it more. But, um, you know, the StatCast search, um, we're also adding a bunch of things this year. Um, player, The player pages are getting a, a whole new refresh, so that's something to look forward to. Um, hopefully you weren't going to touch on that in a second. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, the StatCast search, I think, is very underutilized. People, I think they get intimidated by just how much information they can access on there, so it can get a little confusing. But um, sometimes people ask me, like, um, how do I get a spray chart of a player's home runs? Like, you can literally anything you want to get can be accessed through the StatCast search. Just You just kind of got to play around with the options. It's intimidating at first when you look at it because there are so many. But, I mean, you're not going to break anything by using it. So you can kind of just go in there, enter something in, see what you get back. And it's just kind of a... It's literally a black hole of information for baseball. That that, that sounds like a challenge because I'm pretty sure I have broken it in some ways by using it. <laughs> yes, uh, Mike more than anybody has broken it, but uh, anytime he does, we, we we fix it and it's, it's better. Well, you mentioned uh, the player pages, and I think that's something that is probably your main project right now. And the player pages, you know, they've been there since day one, and they're they're fine. But um, you and some of our cool designers are really working to add some interesting new things and, and it's hard to visualize on a podcast without showing it to people but what are some of the things uh, I guess over the next couple of weeks that are hopefully be added right so um, right now we're adding a lot of natural language things so we want to be able to basically give a broad a real quick glimpse of a player so we're going to add some things um, that say like you pull up Clayton Kershaw this is his repertoire Clayton Kershaw throws a fastball a curveball a slider and it'll put it into context. Um, so we're working a lot of that um, into it. We're going to have a lot of very cool new visuals that kind of quantify the player um, in a at a league level. We're going to have breakdowns of stat cast year to year. Um, for pitchers, it'll be year to year and pitch types. So you can kind of get, um, like say you wanted to look up a pitcher's expected WOBA or expected batting average, we're going we're gonna, to uh, have that all aggregated nicely for you. Um, there's going to be a lot of really cool visualizations. Um, we're working on two separate 3D, three-dimensional applications, one uh, for pitch uh, pitcher's pitches. So you'll be able to pull up a game in, in three-dimensional space, kind of, you know, move around. Um, and the same thing for uh, batted balls. I think we're going to start off with home runs. So if anybody's familiar with the home run derby application we came up with um, during the All-Star break, It'll be very similar to that, so you'll be able to, in three-dimensional space, um, kind of like circle around the field, see where all the home runs went. Um, it's also going to include the fences. So uh, I know Mike's been pushing out these new or tweeting out these kind of uh, home run charts, like Hosmer. Uh, Stanton was the first one. Yeah, Stanton. It's, it's uh, like an improvement over the old top-down 2D charts because, you know, fence height matters, right? Right. So so these these 3D applications will have the fence, so you'll be able to pull up a player and see, like, oh, this home run would have hit the wall, would have hit the green monster. So, yeah, we have a lot of different things going on, and um, it should be really exciting once we, we get it out. And, it's, you know, so that's the baseball savant 
player pages, which probably appeal to like the listeners of this podcast and the very analytical folks. But you are also working on uh, updates to like these traditional MLB.com player pages and slightly different, right? It's probably not as in-depth as this, but some of this cool data will get to a place where, you know, the larger group of fans will see it. Right. So what we're planning on doing um, is taking all the aspects from the Baseball Savant player pages that uh, we're going to have some analytics running on in the background where um, we'll be able to see exactly what's popular from Baseball Savant. So um, as we go next season, we're, we plan on adding a, a ton of things uh, with the StatCast data. And so we'll have metrics behind what's popular on there. And along with uh, some new enhancements that we're working on for the MLB.com player pages, we'll be able to tell if this is something interesting that people like to see, like, say, the 3D charts I was just describing. If it really catches on, we will move that to MLB.com proper. So maybe the average fan um, will like it too so we'll have some analytics behind it so yeah it should be it'll be really exciting next year i've i have one final question for you and you know you're, you're from houston you're sitting next to me wearing a houston hat uh and i know you went to almost every game of the, the playoff run and so you know we were watching and, and we we're doing a lot of ballpark stuff because you know left field and right field and minimate it's, it's kind of silly like it's very short and a lot of these fly balls over home runs and you know we're saying oh this is a one percent home run were you there at the game with your buddies pulling up the data on your phone and saying well that wasn't actually that interesting of a home run it, it is funny so yes i was uh, i went to pretty much every game at Minute Maid park and yes i would pull up the game feed and so me and my buddies would talk and we'd, i'd be like that one was was crushed and uh, well, my buddy would say that, and, was like, and I would pull up the game feed, and I would say, "No, it's about like 101 miles an hour." So I'm that guy, yeah. <laughs> as you should be, yeah. as we all probably are. Yeah, right? I, I, I think we all that guy. Um, Darren, we're gonna let you go. For all our listeners, we have a, a bunch of other things to talk about. Eric Hosmer and Lorenzo Cain and some other stuff. But uh, it's good to have you here, and we're looking forward to some super exciting stuff for the upcoming year. When you're back in a couple months, we'll have you back on. Yeah, it should be super exciting. Thanks for having me on. Now, before we move on with the rest of the show, we do want to take a quick second to tell you about our friends at the Fantasy 401 Podcast. It's never too early to start prepping for your 2018 fantasy draft, and listening to the 401 with Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach can give you an edge no matter what format you play. They'll break down the latest hot sto- news all offseason, including how to value Giancarlo Stanton and Shohei Otane and D. Gordon heading into next season. Draft time will be here before you know it, so subscribe to the Fantasy 401 Podcast on Apple Podcasts today. Now, Matt, I know you know we talked to Darren for a few minutes. There's, there's still a a lot of big names out there in free agency, right? Like yesterday, uh, you know, Mitch Moreland signed with the Red Sox, so maybe Eric Hosmer's not going to go there. But it feels like we all sort of assumed that once Stanton got moved and once Otani picked somewhere, the market would shake loose. It just hasn't happened yet, right? Basically, among the free agents, there's been a bunch of relievers who've signed um, and Otani, who's sort of his own thing. But all the other top free agents are still available. And even the top two relievers, based on, like, stature, Wade Davis and Greg Holland are still out there. Whether or not they're actually the two best relievers on the market is a separate question. But in terms of like expected, you know, next contract and you know, fame, what have you, they are they are the two biggest names out there. And it really feels like a lot of this is going to go into January, and, and that's part of, partially because baseball as an industry just kind of shuts down after Christmas. Like we won't have a show next week because everybody's going to be off. Um, but I do think the fact that Scott Boris is is the agent for a lot of these guys, and he's famous for waiting it out. And now, like every year, we get in the middle of January, and I'm like, oh, I wish I'd taken a week vacation in January. It's so slow. Not this year. It's actually going to be, I think, more interesting than December was, and especially than November was. Yeah, there's a there's a, a really good chance that none of these guys will have signed before the new year, and there's a lot of you know a lot of big names out there. You know. 
Hosmer probably being the, the biggest one. Yeah, so we have uh, we pulled some interesting Statcast data uh, on Hosmer and then Leonard Zerkane, and then uh, we, we should talk a little bit about Stanton and Judge, who should actually play right field in New York because now they have got two right fielders. And we're going to finish off the show with some Statcast New Year's resolutions, um, and I think those are going to be pretty fun. So let's start with Hosmer, right? And we've been talking about this for it feels like a decade, right? He's the most divisive free agent I think I can remember. Uh, you know, the, the metrics don't love him defensively, but he keeps winning Gold Gloves. He looks like a slugger, but he hasn't hit more than 25 home runs. Uh, Boris is trying to push the, the clubhouse intangibles with what he has termed prestige value, which I would love to find the formula for that. I want to know who has the lowest prestige value. But what we did with Hosmer is uh, we looked at kind of the same 3D modeling that we did with John Carlos Stanton a few weeks ago because, and I know he's probably not going to go to the Red Sox now, but this is still interesting. People thought this is a guy who would just pound doubles off the wall in Fenway, or or once he would leave Kaufman, which is enormous, he would just hit more home runs because it wouldn't be as, as big of a ballpark. And that's true, maybe a little bit, but I, I when I looked at these three parks, I looked at Fenway, I looked at Petco, and I looked at Bush Stadium, uh, the effects were not really as large as I, I kind of thought they'd be, and there's one very obvious reason for that. When you hit the ball on the ground as often he does, it really doesn't matter what the park is like. He had a 56% ground ball rate uh, that was 10th of the 240 guys who had at least 250 balls in play. That is, that's a lot of grounders. You expect that from D. Gordon, right? You don't expect that from Eric Hosmer. When he did put the ball in the air, he's interesting. He doesn't pull it. When he put the ball in the air, 13% of those balls were pulled. 51% of those balls were opposite field. He's a really interesting guy. And when he did put it in the air to the opposite field, he was fantastic. Third in weighted on base average when he put the air ball in the air to the opposite field behind J.D. Martinez and Aaron Judge. That's a really nice company to be in. He just doesn't do it that often. Like that's, that's the main problem. And I know people are like, oh, well, he could elevate if he wanted to. The guys who've done that successfully, like Turner, you know, Martinez, Josh Donaldson, were like sort of fringe major leaguers. They, they were willing to take the risk. I don't see him getting a giant contract and saying, okay, Now's the time. Now I'm going to change everything. Well, the, the flip side, the flip side of the argument is being like, well, now I've got, now I'm secure. Maybe now's the time to tinker. I, I mean, I guess it seems unlikely to me. So anyway, we looked at uh, the same thing we did for Stan. We looked at Hosmer's batted balls at home last year of at least 300 feet, so potential home runs. Right? He had 41 batted balls of at least 300 feet at home. Now, right away, that's kind of a thing. 110 players and more, including teammates. Whit Merrifield was 71, and this blew me away. Alcides Escobar had more. He had 58 batted balls at home of at least 300 feet. Now, I think part of that is that, you know, that might be as far as he can hit it. You know, I'd rather have fewer balls that went 400 feet than a lot of balls that went 301 feet. But even still, I thought that was really interesting. Um, so we looked at Fenway because, you know, this is before they signed Moreland. And, and the very first thing that stood out was, oh, yeah, you know, the pesky pole's not far away. He'll pound balls off the wall. We found that he'd gain one home run, probably, maybe lose two, maybe turn four outs in the doubles, which isn't nothing. It's just, it's not the, it's not, there's a report out there that said the Red Sox thought he would hit 45 home runs in Fedway. I don't see that happening. They also, I mean, that's also pretty clearly bogus now that they went and made uh, Mitch Moreland their priority and signed him and basically said, yeah. we're not interested. If they really thought that, that Eric Hosmer was going to hit 45 home runs in Fedway Park, Eric Hosmer would be on the Red Sox. Exactly. Right. And you know what? He's not going to go there now. So they're probably going to get JD Martinez. But it does seem really interesting. The Padres still seem to be in this. I remember we first saw the support a couple weeks ago. We're like, pfft. There's no way. Um, and now as the potential landing spots for Hosmer just kind of seem to be dwindling, the Padres, I mean, there is there is a right price point for Hosmer, even for the Padres, right? I don't know what that number is going to be. Um, but it, it, it's interesting because you think of Petco as being this ridiculous pitcher's park. 
and that was true. It's not as true anymore. They pulled the fences in a couple years ago. Uh, they changed the wind patterns a little bit because they put up like this giant video screen and there's a, a new apartment building or office building or whatever out, out past the outfield. So, I mean, it's still not a hitter's park, uh, but the ball flies there a little better than it used to. So we ran the same thing. He might have actually hit between two or four more home runs at Petco, which is, that's not nothing. I, that's, mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty good. That's kind of significant. You know, the difference between 25 and 29 home runs is uh, that's that's kind of a big deal. Uh, I don't really, yeah, it's I don't really get it. You know, um, Padres are a couple years away. They're interesting. As we, anyone who listens to the show knows that we think if anyone thinks the Padres are interesting, <laughs> it's us. But it it seems like an odd fit, particularly since their their best current major leaguer plays first base. Although I guess there's the thought that Will Myers has more value. I guess he'd be play left field for them, right, with Margot in center and Renfro in right. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, and also he has he has a, a bad arm. That's why I think they he has a shoulder issue. I think that's, that's right. the reason why he moved into the infield in the first place. I mean, I guess they look at him in sort of the same way the Nationals did with Jason Worth. You know, seven years ago, this is when the Nationals were were having those poor seasons that led to the number one overall picks that turned into Strasburg and Harper. And it always it seemed like a year too early, but they kind of sold it as well. You know, we need to we need someone who can lead. We need to convince other free agents next year that we're ready to win. And it seemed to work out. I mean, you know, Worth had some good years and some poor years, but that was the intent behind it. I don't think they would take that back. I guess this is what the Padres are thinking in the same thing. The, the amazing thing about the offseason right now is that the conditions are such that the idea now of Hosmer and Moustakis ending up back on the Royals is like not, doesn't seem that crazy no. anymore. I mean, I've always thought one of those three, between those two and Kane, would, would go back to Kansas City, and now it seems like possibly two of them. I mean, Moustakis, like, really right now, he the market for him seems... Yeah, very limited because the Angels to me seem like the obvious spot, and they went and got Zach Cozart on a modest deal to play third base. So, where who, who's going to sign Mustakas? Especially now that it seems possible or maybe even likely that Manny Machado is out there in the third base market, and, and Evan also, Longoria and, and Josh Donaldson. Donaldson. It's it's a very weird time to be a third baseman. So you're right. I, I think at least one of them is going back to Kansas City, and and Hosmer. I think there's still a chance he goes to St. Louis. And we did the same, uh, you know, 3D modeling here. Maybe plus two in Bush. Uh, he's he's not affected by the ballpark so much. I mean, we we would both love him to go sign with the Rockies, right? I think we both agree that would be a fantastic fit. But if you hit the ball on the ground, it's not going to matter so much. No, but I do I I do wonder with someone like him, not that he necessarily go and hit 40 homers, but I think you, you maybe maybe you look at a guy considering he's also really fast for a first baseman. That's something you're looking at a guy who's going to hit like 50 doubles. Yeah. Um, so he's he's because what's interesting about Hosmer is also that in is that he's very fast for first baseman, but that doesn't translate into range from what we can tell. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I do want to touch on his defense briefly because that's always a big sticking point, right? He's won four Gold Gloves, including this most recent year. But the defensive metrics and a lot of these predate Statcast because you know he's been playing for several years. Uh, they they all hate him. So he's had almost nine thousand innings at first base. His defensive runs saved, negative 21. Ultimate zone rating, negative 29. But he's got a fantastic reputation, and he keeps winning gold gloves. And I don't... People kind of take this to say that the metrics are wrong. Because, like, I like him, he looks good, so the metrics are broken. I don't actually feel like there's a difficult question here, right? Because you look at the things that uh, Hosmer is good at. And I've had the same conversation with a couple of baseball people over the last couple weeks, and they've all agreed. What's he really good at, right? He's got a strong arm. Everybody agrees with that. For first baseman, a very good arm. And he throw, he's, a, he's aggressive with it, and it's right. accurate. It's Everybody just... remembers that play in the, the World Series, right? Uh, he's really good at scooping the ball, right? He will save his infielder's errors. He'll dig the ball out of the turf. I think everybody agrees he's very good at that. And he does not have great range. You know, a lot of balls will get by him. For, for all his speed, he just he's not great at, at blocking the ball. And the thing here is that 
you see a good arm. When he makes a great throw, that's a highlight. When he makes a ridiculous scoop, that's a highlight. But those things just don't matter that much. Like, how much does a first baseman's arm matter? Not that much. Scoops matter a little, but there's just they don't happen that often, and there's not a big spread. Like, a lot of first basemen are good. So being the best at that doesn't matter that much. But range is hugely important. That's the most important thing, and that's the one thing he's not strong at. So I think it's it's pretty easy to understand why the metrics say one thing and why the eye test says another thing. And I'm hopeful that we'll have our own opinion on this soon because, as you all know, we are working on infield defense, and we should have a number, hopefully, uh, in the first, I don't know, month or so of January. So I'm really excited to see what we say about it too, right? Uh, he's not the only Royal out there, not just Hosmer, not just Mustakas. Lorenzo Cain is still out there. And no one's talking about Lorenzo Cain. Nobody's talking about Lorenzo And, you know, he's he is, in my opinion, the only available all-around outfielder, right? J.D. Martinez can crush, not a great defender. Uh, Draw Dyson can fly and field, not a great hitter. But Lorenzo Cain can do both, right? An elite outfielder and above-average hitter. But you're right. Nobody really seems to be talking about him. I, I guess just because everybody's focused on Hosmer and Darvish and Martinez. There also just don't seem to be, among the teams that are sort of like in on big free agents, there doesn't seem to be a lot of teams that are really targeting a center fielder. I guess a lot of them just have a good center fielder that they feel happy about. or And maybe because there's not another comparable player on the market, it's sort of hard to get a sense of like what his market is. Actually, is there's no other center fielder at his level on the market, right? No, and, and he's flexible, too, because when they had both Kane and Dyson, they would put Kane in right field. So if part of it's his age, he's going to be 32 or he's already 32. So you don't sign him to a five-year deal expecting he's your center fielder for the next five years. But if he spends part of that time in right field, that's still fine. So we identified five good fits here. Um, and I just want to, we'll go through the numbers real quickly just to compare. And I think some of them would be surprising to people. Glenzer Kane last year had 15 outs above average, right? That's fifth in baseball. The previous year he had 12, ninth in baseball. He's been a consistently a top 10 outfielder. And just a quick overview, outs above average is the um, when we uh, add up all of uh, the separate catch probability metrics over the course of a season. So if you make a catch that had a catch probability of 10%, you get essentially 0.9 points. So it's like 100, you know, you get 90, like point, like... You get, you get credit not only for how many plays you make, but how difficult they were. So you add that all up, and you get to a raw number. And I think, you know, Buxton led the league at what, like 25? 26, I think. Was 20, something 25, like that. that's above average. Kane was um, fifth with 15. Yeah, so the range for uh, an everyday player goes from, yeah, 26 Buxton, I believe the the lowest. Uh, well, let's talk about let's talk about the next lowest right now. Denard Span had negative 12 last year. So the, I think the Giants are a very obvious fit. And I don't think they'll do it because they've got some, you know, you know, luxury tax issues and all this stuff, but they wanted Stanton, it didn't happen. They wanted Ozuna, it didn't happen. They're on the record as saying they need to improve their outfield, uh, especially their defense. Span is probably going to move to a quarter next year. He might actually platoon with Hunter Pence, which is kind of fun to think about. As a group, the Giants outfield had a negative 16 outs above average. That was 29th in MLB. So if you were to just look at Span's minus 12 and Kane's plus 15 right away, with, with one swap, that's a difference of plus 27 outs. And if you think about, you know, Attenders. I mean, it's 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 crazy to think about what that meant to the pitching staff, right? Because like when I did this list a few weeks ago of pitchers who deserve better, Jeff Samarja was on it because he had a, a really good expected weighted on base, a 4.42 ERA. Mark Melanson was on it. He had a 2.88 expected weighted on base, where the average is like 3.20. He had a 4.50 ERA. I, I think the defense there just crushed the pitchers. So they they, they need somebody. And and right now, outs above, above average isn't even weighted for like. How many bases it costs? So a lot of these are we're talking about extra bases. We're right. talking about this isn't just this isn't just any any out. This is an out that you know let you know doubles, triples, and you know runs circling the bases. So I think the Giants are an obvious fit. Here's what I think people are going to get surprised about: the Toronto Blue Jays. And I don't think listeners of the show are going to be surprised by well, this. 
There's actually been reports that they've reached out. So this isn't just like a spitballing. This was actually a thing that they're looking at, and everybody's going to say, "What well, you have Kevin Pillar in center field. Kevin Pillar is a star. And I think that was true. And the Blue Jays actually had the weakest outfield in baseball in terms of outs above average. And a lot of that was because in the corners they had, you know, Steve Pierce and Jose Bautista, uh, you know, not a very strong defensive outfield. But Kevin Pillar dropped from plus 15 outs above average in 2016 to minus two last year. I, I didn't actually look if that was the largest drop, but my guess is it's pretty close to it. And when I, when I put this out on Twitter, Blue Jays fans kind of lost their mind because he makes these fantastic catches. But the response here is that you don't even need advanced metrics. If you just look at raw putouts, he's played about the same innings the last three years. Just catches made, 440, down to 337, down to 316. That is as clear an indication that he's just not getting as many balls as, as he used to. Yeah, I mean, some of that could be the changing makeup of the pitching staff, sure. but that's a huge drop. We're hu- talking that's 124 fewer right. putouts. Now, I still consider him, you know, at, at worst an average fielder, if not better than average, but that's the point. Is you put Kane in center field, you put Pilar in left or right, all of a sudden, that's two-thirds of a pretty good defensive outfield. Um, and you can see how it affected their pitchers, too. Marco Estrada basically had the same year the last two years. Strikeouts, walks were the same. Expected to wait on a base, almost identical. His 348 ERA jumped to a 498 ERA. Defense matters for a fly ball pitcher, especially. Um, a couple other teams I want to talk about. The Dodgers. I think this one's really interesting, especially now that they have cleared a whole bunch of, of luxury, ta- uh, luxury tax commitments with the uh, Matt Kemp trade. And we know Matt Kemp is not going to be on the Dodgers next season. Last year, they had a negative nine outs above average, and a lot of that was because Jock Peterson had a negative eight. He was slightly below average uh, in terms of sprint speed, so he had a 26.9 feet per second sprint speed. The league average is 27. But for center fielders, it's like almost 28. So he was one of the slower center fielders. They've actually asked him to work on his conditioning this year. But wouldn't wouldn't signing Kane put them back over the luxury? Isn't, there, isn't their goal basically to stay under the luxury tax so they can basically reset yes. for next year? Well, it depends on how the contract would be structured. It also depends if they can you know maybe move camp by including some prospects to the White Sox or somebody. Uh, but it's possible. Is it likely? Who knows? But they could certainly use a center fielder because even when Peterson came back from the minors, he played mostly left. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Chris Taylor had a breakout year, but. Is he going to repeat that? Is he going to play some infield? Uh, with Gonzalez now, Bellinger's not going to play in the outfield. Almost certainly, he's their first baseman. Puig will play in right, and then you know Alex Verdugo's in the mix. But they could certainly use... They have a lot of uncertainty there. Uh, I think when I think about the next team, the Rockies, I kind of think about it in the same way as the Blue Jays. They have a really good center fielder. Charlie Blackman, basically average, you know, negative one outs above average. But they don't really have any corner outfielders. You know, Ian Desmond, is he going to be their first baseman, their left fielder? Who knows? Do you really want Para playing every day? Uh, I like David Dahl a lot, but he's never healthy. And this would also help because, as we always say, the Rockies need another bat. And Lorenzo Cain had a pretty good year in a large ballpark. I actually like him a lot in Colorado. You put him in center, put Blackman in right, all of a sudden you got something going. Never going to happen. But I want it to happen. I always want the Rockies to do something. And then finally, the Texas Rangers, who have added so much to their pitching staff. They've added Mike Miner and Matt Moore and Doug Fister and Chris Martin. And then just today, lost Martin Perez to a broken elbow, non-throwing elbow, due to some sort of un- undisclosed bull incident. Yeah, in Venezuela. It was very uh, a little bit, of, not cryptic, but the announcement was just like, he had surgery yesterday. He had an incident with a bull on his ranch in Venezuela. He'll miss four months. It's a non-throwing, it's a non-throwing arm, so like it probably is not going to affect their season that much. But I mean, Martin Perez was never like. I do wonder if it might make them more aggressive to go after a guy like Arietta. Right. Well, anyway, the point is they're trying to fix their pitching staff. So they've signed a bunch of guys. They wanted Otane. I agree with you that they're probably in on on Arietta or maybe bring back Darvish. But a really good way to improve your pitching staff is to improve your defense. And the Rangers 
put a ton of balls in play last year. Their pitching staff had the lowest strikeout percentage in baseball at 17.8%. So they obviously allowed a ton of balls in play. Uh, as a group, they had a negative five outs above average, but their incumbent center fielder, Carlos Gomez, is a free agent. So right now, it would be Delano DeShields, maybe, who's extremely fast. He had the sixth highest sprint speed at 29.6 feet per second, but He's an average outfielder. It hasn't really translated into success. He's not much of a hitter anyway. So, you know, you probably need him in left because they have Willie Calhoun, the prospect they got from the Dodgers, who is supposed to be a really good hitter, but is not a strong outfielder either. So if you have DeShields in left with him and Kane up the middle, that's something. Yeah, DeShields, I mean, he when he came up, I guess, in 2015, he kind of had a little bit of a a, a fluky season, kind of Babbitt-driven. You know, he's he's a nice guy for your, for your roster, of his speed but i he's not somebody you want to pencil in if you if you have you know visions of competing for a play, for a playoff spot uh i think you probably need to need an upgrade there yeah and i think lorenzo kane would be perfect and i believe the rangers have been interested in him before the next topic i wanted to talk about was in new york aaron judge is a right fielder the yankees traded for Giancarlo stanton who is also a right fielder so they have two massive men who both play right field neither one has ever played left field in the majors so there is some sort of question about how this is all going to work out. Now, obviously, they have the DH. It feels like they'll both DH a little bit. But it's an interesting uh, you know, thought experiment. And I feel like there's another move that's going to come. Maybe it's Frazier for you know, Garrett Cole. They, they would love that, to get rid of Ellsbury. But that right? doesn't, really affect, it doesn't really affect this, this no, dilemma. No, but they'd love to get rid of Ellsbury. But Ellsbury has a no-trade clause. So if they end up moving Brett Gardner, or even if they don't end up moving Brett Gardner, there's, they still have some questions, right? Because I don't think that they really want to just say, okay, you whichever one is our everyday DH, um, especially because they're both surprisingly decent fielders, and I think the Yankees will import somebody to be insurance for Greg Bird, and if Greg Bird has the season, I think he will, because I'm a big Greg Bird fan, that somebody is probably going to get some DH time, right? So they, they can't just stick one there and say that's it. Yeah, it's 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 definitely going to be interesting to see how they play it out, and now we know, based on how the Yankees went about their manager search, that this decision is going to be driven by the front office. This oh, is going to absolutely. Be, this is not going to be, you know, if Joe Girardi had been there, Joe Girardi obviously I felt like would have been very involved in this decision, but this is going to be Cashman telling Aaron Boone, here's how we're going to, here's how we're going to uh, divvy this playing time up. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed looking into this because you think about Judge and Stanton and you think of home runs, right? You think of crushed baseball because they're enormous, massive men, but they're actually pretty uh, decent outfielders. I mean, if you look at the speed, uh, pretty similar. 27 feet per second was the major league average. Judge was at 27.7. Stanton was only a little bit behind him. They're both average to slightly above average. Outs above average, Judge was plus six. That's top 20. Stanton was minus one. So about the same. Like they're both playable. This is not a case where, you know, it's a slugger who's stumbling around in the outfield. Now, I think the one thing here is that Yankee Stadium is not equal. If you look at right field in Yankee Stadium, obviously the short porch, 385 to right center. 399 to left center. So there's just more left field. That sort of points towards Judge, I think. Uh, and also Judge actually played a couple of games in left in AAA in 2016. A few games in center. Love to see Aaron <laughs> Judge playing center on an everyday basis. So, and just in terms of there's more room out there and he's a little younger and maybe a little faster and a little more range. I think that points to Judge. But I do think there's a case for Stanton, right? Because let's say Stanton probably spends more time at DH than, than Judge does. So if you do that and you still have Gardner, you can make for a pretty easy platoon situation. So let's say they're facing a right-handed pitcher, uh, Gardner in left, Judge in right, and Stanton at DH. Easy. And then if it's a left-handed pitcher, Stanton in left, Judge in right, and another right-handed bat at DH. But if you did it the opposite way, now you've got to flip Judge because Brett Gardner is never going to play right field. He doesn't have the arm for it. So we have Judge in right field some days and left field some days and then DH some days. I mean, it's possible. I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, but it, it does seem to me it's easier just to leave one of them alone and have Stanton split his time at left field DH. 
I also think that the uh, the big thing is simply that Stanton's injury history, you're going to want to give him more. It's just like by nature, he's a little older. And because he's, I mean, as great as Stanton's season was last year, it was by far his best season. His previous career high in home runs was 37, which is more a reflection of his inability to stay on the field than anything. Oh, absolutely. He could barely play more than 120 games in a season. So in the interest of keeping him healthy, you're going to want to DH him. Oh, I think he's going to probably DH half the time, would be my guess. So with that regard, yes, you may be asking him to um, – to um sorry i lost my train of thought but um it would just make more sense for that regard to uh do it the way you suggested yeah and it, what's interesting about the yankees at least last year is that their pitchers made it pretty easy on everybody they had the fourth highest strikeout percentage and the third fewest air balls to left field and right field that, that were in play that were not home runs so right away there's just not a ton of, of opportunities out there and whether it's through batted ball luck or good positioning or whatever yankee outfielders had the fewest tough outfield opportunities last year, which I've defined as uh, five-star or four-star catches, so a 50% catch probability or below. They had by far the fewest. Uh, and if you look at the top, it's like Detroit, Atlanta, Minnesota. Pitching staffs that don't miss a lot of bats put a lot of balls in play. So in some sense, it's an easier decision for the Yankees because if they can repeat that, it's not going to matter so much. It will be interesting to see. I mean, you know, the Yankees, by from multiple reports, now have the largest analytics staff in baseball, which some people don't It's sort of, you know, they, they don't have that reputation, but that's how they're they're really being run from a top down situation, as I sort of alluded to before with the um, hiring of Aaron Boone. So it'll be interesting to see if that kind of thing is repeatable because it speaks to it speaks to great outfield positioning is what it speaks to. And obviously, there's always going to be a little bit of variance, but I do think that over the course of time, we'll be able to see teams that are better at repeating. Um, it will become a skill, outfield positioning, essentially. Yes, and that's actually something uh, we're working to be able to measure because we can't do that yet. Let's finish off our final show of the year with some New Year's StatCast resolutions. And this is less about uh, what Matt and I want to do and more about what we would like some of our favorite players to to change going forward. So first on the list, we're not going to repeat it all. Eric Hosmer should elevate the ball. All right, we, we talked about this. Too many balls on the ground. You have you have the power. You have the exit velocity. Let's see it. That's what I want to see. Yeah, another guy that uh, is in, supposedly trying to, trying to elevate the ball this offseason. Uh, uh, there was a great story in the New York Times this week about Juan Lagares. James Wagner did a great piece. Juan Lagares going to the same hitting coach of, uh, was it Justin Turner this uh, offseason? J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez this offseason. So, you know, I certainly don't expect Lagares to turn into J.D. Martinez, but he's basically on record as saying, I am trying to do this. You know, I'm, I'm trying to join the airball revolution. Let's see what happens. I can't tell you how happy Matt was when he saw that story. We love Lagares right here. He's a fantastic but, fielder. Even just a little bit of pop makes him a pretty good player. But the guy that really needs to elevate probably more than anyone in baseball Yandy Diaz. Yandy Diaz, Cleveland infielder. Yandy Diaz last year, and if you you should go look up a picture of Yandy Diaz, by the way, his forearms are enormous. Yandy Diaz had a hard hit rate, and we define that as an exit velocity of 95 miles an hour more. He had a hard rate hit rate of 51%. Is that good? I think it's good. That's the fifth best of 387 guys who put 100 balls Judge in Judge is play. like 55% for Yeah, reference. it's like Judge and Stanton and uh, Joey Gallo, I think, are like three. Anyway, you if you do that, you're crushing the ball. However, he also had a 59% grounder rate, which was the highest, I believe. And uh, it really doesn't matter. He's never hit a home run in the majors, by the way. It does not matter how hard you hit the ball if you're hitting it on the ground right to the shortstop. And they've talked about this. They're working with him on it. I really want to see it happen. And they, they clearly believe in him because they're basically trying to give Jason Kipnis away, which basically says we are prepared to make um, Jose Ramirez, our everyday second baseman, and Diaz or, you know, Giovanni Urshela. But I think Diaz is the guy that – the upside is there. Like, yeah. few, few people – this is a skill. This is like a – he's basically like the equivalent of a pitcher who can throw it 101 but 
does not really have command, but like if he can harness that command a little bit, suddenly is like an elite pitcher. This is Yanni Diaz is the hitter equivalent of that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one more elevate guy, and that's Ian Desmond. Right, and we talked about Ian Desmond a couple times. He's second only to Diaz in terms of fewest batted balls hit above ten degrees. He doesn't hit the ball as hard as Diaz does, uh, but you're in course field, man. You're, you you want to get that thin air to help you. It's not going to happen on the ground. Just put it in the air. And the thing about uh, Ian Desmond when he when he has been good, he's hit for power and he hits some majestic home runs. Oh, yeah. Like I want to see I want to see him like you know harness that in course field, and then he could be useful as like super utility guy. I think could be a very useful player. Th- I mean, that contract did not work out so well in year one, but it can still work out. Uh, we have a couple more guys. Now, one is a former Rocky, Tyler Chatwood. I've talked about Tyler Chatwood a lot. Big fan of his. He's now with the Cubs. I'd love for him to throw more curveballs. Maybe leaving Coors Field will help with that. He had a curveball spin rate of 2,980 RPM, fifth highest of 229 who threw 100 curves, but only threw it 10% of the time. This is like me from a year ago talking about Seth Lugo. Now I want Tyler Chatwood to be like, just give me the good stuff. Throw that curveball. You're outside of course Field now. Maybe he'll trust it a little more. I, I hope. Yeah, no, we talk a lot about the uh, the curveball revolution on the show and guys throwing more and more, more and more curveballs. And possibly the poster child for that movement is Lance McCullers Jr. But I'm going to say, I think Lance McCullers Jr. for 2018 needs to throw his curveball Less. Hot take coming in here. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. This year, he threw his um, curveball about 47% of the time, his fastball about uh, 40% of the time, and his changeup about 13% of the time. And now the reason you know pitchers try and get that – starting pitchers need that third pitch is to give a different look, to get through that lineup two and three times – two and th- two or three times, right? You, we hear a lot about the third time through the order penalty. A lot of times it's because the third time they're seeing a pitcher – He's got two pitches. He doesn't have anything else to show. He's a little tired, and they tee off. Lance McCullers Jr. last year, OPS against first time through the order, 536. That's really good. Second time through the order, 664. That's really good, too. Third time through the order, 1,000. Oh, no. 1004, right? That was 87th among 89 qualifiers. Jeremy Hellickson was last at 1,034. So Lance McCullers Jr., as good as he is the first time, th- first two times through the lineup, He's showing a little bit that maybe, just maybe, he needs to work in that third offering a little bit more to get through that lineup a third time. If, of course, that's what the Astros want. They may just want him to go through the lineup twice. But if they want three times through the order, he may want to think about mixing up the repertoire a little bit more. It would be a very Astros thing to do to only ask him to go through the lineup twice. Uh, Matt Davidson, I think, is another name here on the White Sox. Learn the strike zone, right? Matt Davidson uh, has a lot of power. But he also has an enormous strikeout rate, a 37.2% strikeout rate. That's the second highest among all hitters with 400 plate appearances. But his barrels per ball in play rate was really good. Now, a barrel is our definition for basically the best thing you can do. It's the perfect combination of exit velocity and launch angle. His barrel per ball in play rate was 15.4%. That was top 10. 284 guys had at least 200 balls in play. That was ninth. So when he gets a hold of the ball, he does good things with it, but he just strikes out so much. Yeah, and also he doesn't walk. The thing is, he had a walk rate of only 4.3%. Um, he's The thing is, he's ba- and I, this is he's basically Joey Gallo without the walks, which I realize is like... That's, not, that's some faint praise. Yeah, that's some faint <laughs> praise. But like, there's a lot. Matt Davidson is sort of like this. He's this cheap power source. He's someone who hits the ball hard a lot. And, you know, the White Sox are this kind of rebuilding team. But he's not that far. Like, the the pieces are like, there's something there to be a useful player. I don't expect him to ever be a star, but he's like a legitimate third baseman. He has ridiculous power. It's just like, maybe control the, control the strikes on a little bit more. And there's like a, a nice, like, uh, cost-effective third-base option for a rebuilding team. Now, we're going to finish this off with one more New Year's resolution, and you probably already know who this is going to be, and I'm going to let Matt here take it away. Who's the last name? Luis Perdomo. There it is. 
it was only fitting that we finish our last show of 2017 with Luis Perdomo. Learn to change up. He's basically, he's just like, he's, he's, I wouldn't say just like, there's a lot of similarities between him and McCullers. He's great first time through the order. He falls apart third time through. He's got a fantastic sinker. He's got an effective slider, gets a lot of swings and misses on it. But he needs a third pitch. Padres improved their uh, infield defense by acquiring Freddie Galvis to play shortstop, so that should help. Uh, they don't. They didn't have a strong infield last year, uh, so we are definitely going to end our show and our year on Luis Perdomo because why wouldn't we? So thank you all for listening. Thank you to Andrew Hartz, our producer, for a very good year, and uh, we will be back right after the new year. So thanks for listening. We will talk to you in 2018. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.